Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He is the president of Rainstar Capital Group, which is a company that helps finance all kinds of different projects you'll hear about. Uh, and he is joining us today. Welcome to the show, Frederick. Oh, thank you for having me, Jordan. I'm excited to be here. Just give us a little bit of your background leading to uh, running Rainstar Capital. Well, I started off in the banking industry in the uh, late 90s. I've been an investment banker for a little over 23 years now. Uh, worked for J.P. Morgan as an investment banker for about 15 years. Uh, then I also ran my own firm, which is FLR Business Solutions, for about five years before I joined Rainstar around four years ago. So let's kind of look at a broad level here. The banks are flush with cash right now. And why is it that businesses need to go to alternative lenders like you? Why can't they get what they need from traditional banks? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, although the banks are flooded with cash currently, they also have tightened the reins quite a bit on releasing that cash per se, right? Especially now that we've come out of the pandemic. Uh, so a lot of them have really tightened their belts as far as their underwriting and, and credit criteria boxes uh, that, that the borrower needs to check. And so, uh, unfortunately, a lot of borrowers that qualify for what I would consider traditional financing uh, pre-COVID no longer qualify post-COVID. And so we have found that our uh, phones have been ringing effectively off the hook because of that right i mean clients just no longer qualify for traditional financing and that's where we step in to provide alternative means for them to get the financing that they need for their businesses so how did the pandemic affect underwriting by banks well you know uh, most clients that were already uh, already had relationships with their banks uh, you know obviously when the pandemic hit uh, you know businesses had to close you know not only across the country but worldwide um, and so, you know, those clients were no longer meeting the covenants, the financial covenants with their bank uh, based on the, you know, maybe the, the credit that had been extended to them. Um, and so we found ourselves um, providing what I would consider takeout capital for non-performing and underperforming debt on bank balance sheets because of that, right? Um, and what we've done is we've been able to kind of step in and provide um, alternative means, typically through asset-based lending, where we can leverage the assets of the business uh, to effectively get them from up under the bank, but also provide that additional uh, runway um, for them to be able to turn the business around. So effectively providing that bridge over troubled waters, right? So uh, most of why clients don't uh, qualify for traditional financing is really because of the downturn in their revenues during that COVID space of time. So you're saying before the pandemic, it was relatively easy to get loans. I mean, the whole financial crash of 2008, 2009, and then there were all kinds of regulations that came in after that. That made it sure. difficult to get uh, traditional financing as well. Is that, this was on top of that, is that correct? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I, when you say easy, I, I, I kind of would say that tongue in cheek, right? Um, you know, obviously the, the crash of 08 and 09 had some se severe consequences, primarily on how banks uh, were doing business, right? Just really was a tightening of the ship per se. Um, and then we saw kind of a turnaround, I'd say, uh, closer to uh, 2012, 2011 or so, um, where, you know, the banks were, you know, lending again, I, I think, at your typical capacities. 
Uh, and then obviously with the pandemic, it's, it's just made it very, very hard for clients to, to be able to qualify for traditional financing. So we not only come into play when a borrower doesn't qualify for financing based on, you know, maybe revenues, um, but a lot of times, you know, where we come into play is where their request just doesn't fit the credit box for a t traditional bank. So we kind of provide that out of the box type of financing, out of the box type of thinking and underwriting to provide the capital. So very creative in our capabilities. Um, what I often tell the borrower is that instead of you trying to fit into the box of a traditional bank, we literally can build the box around you and your need. And, and that, I think that's where we bring the most value. Is it more expensive to borrow from you as opposed to a traditional bank on the same kind of loan? Not necessarily. Um, you know, we provide, you know, we, we are the largest uh, debt advisory firm in the country, or one of the largest. And so we provide uh, all types of capital, right? Every first and second lien debt product in the market we offer. So commercial real estate, lines of credit, working capital, SBA loans, asset-based lending, uh, AA financing, uh, equipment financing, et cetera. And so what we built effectively is what we call an ABCD model. And that's based off of cash collateral and credit of the borrower. So just because someone has, you know, someone can have an 800 FICO um, and they still not qualify for traditional bank financing. And it could just be because of the type of transaction. It just doesn't fit in the wheelhouse of traditional banking. So we do provide bank rate type of financing or a paper debt. Uh, and then we move the ball from there, B, C, and D paper debt based on the cash collateral and credit of the borrower to kind of fit where they are, right? We try to meet the need where they are. And then our goal, obviously, at the end of the day is to make sure that the client is bankable at the end of our process, right? And so where we really bring value is educating the borrower uh, on what's available, right? Where they are in their business and taking more of a holistic approach. Uh, full full on analysis of where they are. And, and our goal is to grow that business. You know, if a, if a business is doing a million dollars a year, our conversation is how we get them to 3 million? How do we get you to 5 million, right? Um, by, by providing the, the specialty finance sources that we have to get them to that next level. Is it usually the case that the owner of the business, if it's a small business, has to pledge their personal, a personal guarantee and their personal assets in addition to what's in the business themselves, or is that not necessary with the kind of loans you're doing? That's that's typically in the traditional model. In the traditional model, yes, you know, uh, banks typically require everything uh, short of a firstborn child, right? So um, where we're able to come in into play is a lot of times, you know, we can provide asset-based lending where it's based solely on the asset and not necessarily on the credit history of the borrower or requiring them to personally guarantee a loan. So it just really depends on the type of financing we're providing. What kind of a default rate do you have, and are you often seizing these assets that are acting as collateral for the loans? Not necessarily. We really have low, uh, I would say we have very low uh, default rates just because we are very good at underwriting, uh, you know, the borrower in holistically, right? You, we get away from what I would consider product pushing, right, where we're just trying to push a product on a borrower, where we want to make sure that we fully understand the business. We really understand the operators and their level of experience so that we can make the best recommendation possible for the borrower and putting them in, in, a, in a situation to succeed, right? Their win is our win, but again, their loss is our loss, right? And so what we are looking to do is, is put them in the, in the best position possible for them to succeed and making sure that they understand the type of loan that they're getting into, right? Um, which is very, very important, right? Where rate and term and expectation is concerned. 
uh, you know, walking them through what I would consider what if scenarios, right? What are some of the pivots or some of the pitfalls of taking on the type of financing that we're recommending and making sure they fully understand uh, what they're getting into. So I would say uh, revenue-based loans, what I would, you know, merchant cash advances and MCA loans, uh, those have a higher, uh, I'd say, default rate than, you know, some of your more traditional financing, just because it's based off of the revenue of the business and not necessarily any hard assets. So those typically have a have a greater propensity uh, to default just because the borrower can't keep up with the payments based on the revenues and cash flows of their business. So it's really important that a borrower understands the type of financing that's being uh, offered to them and you know what the ins and outs are so that they're making the, the proper decision for, for their business. So what happened going into the pandemic when things like the economy was really doing well in 2018, 2019, the pandemic hits, the economy kind of falls off a cliff, <clears throat> a lot of businesses get into trouble. How did that affect your borrowers? Well, in, in a multitude of ways, right? You know, you had, it was, you know, where commercial real estate was concerned and that, I think that industry took one of the larger hits, right? You, you have on one hand, the borrower, right? It, let's, let's consider a, a uh, commercial real estate investor, right? That owns multifamily properties, right? Now he's depending on obviously the cash flows and the rents to be paid on time in order for him to meet the mortgage uh, requirements of that particular property. Now you have borrowers that are out of work because of COVID and obviously they can no longer meet, uh, you know, the, the requirements, right? They can't make those payments on time and it puts a cash crunch obviously on the landowner or the, or the property owner. And then you turn around and then you had, you know, administration also putting uh, restrictions on those, um, those borrowers. Uh, for them to be able to foreclose or 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 be able to uh, you know evict those clients as well, so it was a very very tough situation for a borrower, a commercial real estate borrower, to be in because you don't have the cash flows coming in from, you know, your renters, uh, and the bank is basically tying your hands on your ability to be able to execute on getting those renters out so that you can put you know paying renters in. So I think that industry took the biggest hit. Um, because that, of that, does that affect Rainstar? Since you have a lot of commercial real estate, did that affect you as well? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it, it affected our, you know, our ability to be able to provide that type of financing during that time because most of our lenders had completely paused on putting capital in the commercial real estate market uh, because of that. So it absolutely affected us and our ability to be able to provide capital for our clients. Uh, because most of the lenders just didn't have an appetite for it, right? Uh, and so, you know, that happened for, I'd say, a good eight to nine month stretch where, you know, it was very tough to be able to provide any type of capital, especially in the hospitality space. And so what is your longer term view? Some people say that nobody's ever going to come back to the office again, or very few, and particularly office real estate, commercial real estate's kind of depressed permanently. What is your view on commercial real estate, particularly office? No, I, I think it does what it always does, right? The ebbs and flows of commercial real estate, whether it's a pandemic or anything else, right? Uh, there's always going to be ebbs and flows in commercial real estate. Um, I, we've seen a, a great uptick in uh, in office as well. I think you've, you've we've seen more of a pivot on the use of those properties. So you'll see a lot of co-op opportunities, just ways for them to kind of mitigate risk. We also have seen uh, a lot of offices uh, be converted into uh, mixed-use properties, right, where they're adding a residential component so that they can add some stabilization properties to that asset as well so that, you know, if, if people start working from home, 
you know, there's a, so another revenue source tied to that building outside of just office space. So I think if I've seen borrowers get really, really creative on how they use these assets. Um, but we're, we've absolutely been lending uh, in that space and seeing some very creative ways to be able to do so. So you think it is going to come back, but it's not going to be the way it was before the pandemic is what you're saying? I don't think it'll be the way it was before. Uh, I mean, there's there's a couple of different ways you look at these, these situations, right? Obviously, if you run into uh, a pandemic that no one foresaw, right? And, and now that you've, you know, most of our borrowers have experienced that, it's way, okay, how do I mitigate the risk moving forward? And it's really incumbent upon the the borrower to be creative as, as far as mitigating that risk. And what we've seen them do is, you know, turn some of these properties into mixed use properties. We've also seen them turn some of them into just full on uh, residential properties, right? They've converted those properties into condos and things like that. So um, I don't think it'll come back full force where, you know, people are loving office. It just really depends on the industry. You think office buildings uh, for like medical, you know, that type of stuff will never go away. Uh, but you know, if, if borrowers can, you know, have their, their employees work from home and they not, then they no longer have the kind of brick and mortar overhead. You know, I've seen a lot of companies kind of scale back, not fully scale back, but definitely have mixed in some work from home opportunities for some of their employees. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He is the president of Rainstar Capital Group which helps small businesses finance their business in various ways we're going to go into in more detail. You can find out more at their website, which is rainstarcapitalgroup.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then brings them to you. From personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend $150 billion a year, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest early. Our crowd is the fastest growing venture capital investment community. Our crowd's accredited investors have already used the platform to invest over $1 billion in growth tech companies. 21 of the portfolio companies are unicorns. And many of our crowd's members have benefited from over 50 IPOs or sale exits of portfolio companies. Now you can invest in Sotero, which has developed a patented new approach to data protection that eliminates the gaps of traditional methods, securing any data asset, whether it's on-premise or in the cloud. Sotero is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. Explore Sotero's potential at OUR crow.com slash answers. You can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at OurCrowd.com slash answers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. 
visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He is the president of Rainstar Capital Group, which is a group that helps people finance their business loans of various types. You can find out more at their website, rainstarcapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Frederick. Thank you. So you have what you call the working capital blueprint. So why don't you just briefly go through how that works, the different kinds of loans, and then we're going to go into some of them in more detail. Okay. So our, our working capital blueprint just kind of breaks down the different opportunities we have for a borrower to to get leverage, right? To to get the capital that they're looking for, right? So you have you know your working capital uh, fintech, and then you go into you know which is you know could be fintech lines of credit, then you have uh, fintech term loans, then you're going to have commercial real estate opportunities. And you're going to have AR, which is uh, accounts receivable financing or uh, purchase order financing. Uh, and then you'll go into equipment as well, right, where we can leverage the equipment for the borrower. So when we're talking to a client, we're walking them through the different opportunities we have to provide capital for their capital needs, right, for their requests, right? Um, and so uh, depending on the industry, right, it's going to kind of determine what type of capital they qualify for, and then we kind of walk through the nuances of what those products look like from there. So let's start with the SBA uh, term loans and lines of credit. What are the specific ways that you can help people get an SBA loan that if they didn't go to the SBA directly or, uh, you know, what are some things people should know if they want to take an SBA loan out? Sure. Uh, you know, outside of your traditional uh, SBAs, I think where we bring value is that, you know, in the traditional SBA model, you typically need to be in business, you know, two to three years, or you need to be able to show two to three years of financials, right? Um, you also have to be able to fully collateralize your requests as well. What, you know, obviously, uh, SBA loans, you know, the program is, is specifically designed to be able to provide the best 
terms and rates for a borrower for a small business, right? Uh, it's the cheapest cost of capital with the longest terms uh, available uh, for borrowers. Uh, we have those traditional opportunities uh, with our banking relationships, right? Your B of A's, et cetera. But we also have specialty firms that what I would consider uh, non-bank SBA lenders. And what we love about working with non-bank SBA lenders is number one, their underwriting criteria is far less stringent than your traditional banking model. Oftentimes we can provide true startup capital in an SBA scenario. Uh, you know, a bank will say they do startup capital, but they want two, three years of financials. Well, to me, that doesn't mean startup, right? It could be a, you know, that's more of a business in its infancy, but it's not as true startup. And what we've been able to do is provide capital for borrowers and how we get around that, uh, not having the two, three years of financials effectively is we give credence to a borrower's experience in a particular industry. So let's use an example of a, a, you know, a truck driver, right? He's been in the business 15 years and he's worked for the same company for 15 years. And then all of a sudden the business owner decides that he wants to retire and that, you know, that, that, that trucker at that time wants to take over the business, right? We will give, uh, you know, basically give credence to the fact that he has been in that business for 15 years, obviously knows the operations in and out. Uh, and so we can use that instead of him, you know, saying that he ran that business or has two or three years of financials, we can just say, hey, obviously his level of expertise in this space lends itself to him being able to carry this out. And we can base our underwriting uh, on that, right? Uh, not necessarily just the financials, right? Obviously, we're going to look at the financials of the business that he's purchasing, but you know, that's a scenario that he couldn't, you know, he wouldn't be able to get that done in their traditional means. We would have to use a non-bank SBA lender for yeah. for that type of situation, right? And so, uh, I think I think we more oftentimes use non-SBA lenders uh, versus traditional lenders, obviously, because you know, if someone qualifies for a traditional banking. They'll just walk into their local bank and, you know, fill out the application and do business directly with the bank where we bring value is in the scenarios where they don't necessarily qualify for a traditional SBA. You know, we'll look at, the, you know, a non SBA lender as a viable option for them to be able to still get an SBA loan. The rates are the same. The turn times are typically a little faster uh, than, you know, working with a traditional bank. We usually can get an SBA loan turn in about 45 days or so. Um, and I know, you know, one, when the government was effectively giving out stimulus money um, for businesses, a lot of the SBA loans got put on the back burner just because of the processing capacities that the banks didn't have, right? They were, you know, the, that government money had a timeline attached to it. And so those applications got uh, preferential treatment over a traditional SBA loan. And so borrowers were waiting upwards of 60 to 90 days to even get a reply from the bank if they even qualified or not. And so, you know, when we work with our non-SBA lenders, that's all they do. Um, and so we are able to, to get a much faster turn time uh, on, on getting their SBA loans done. Do you think that the government's PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, was in general success the way it was run or not? Well, I mean, obviously, there's some things that they could have done more, better, or different, right? As far as processing, I think they were too lax on who qualified, who didn't qualify, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so as far as um, deployment, uh, there were definitely a lot of holes in that process. But again, we were facing, a, we were facing an unprecedented time. And so they were trying to just get things done as quickly as possible and putting cash uh, in, in the people's hands who needed it, right? I think a bigger shortfall was the people who really needed that money weren't getting that money, 
right? It was the larger organizations and the larger corporations that were getting that money first, um, which was a big problem, right? And because we were on the front lines, you know, we saw that happening to the to our borrowers. So I'm not saying that in a I heard it scenario. I'm talking firsthand of of clients, you know, you know, applying for that money and really not getting that money because it wasn't reaching the hands that it was supposed to reach. So um, I guess and there that was a lot of fraud high, as well. I don't take from that. Wasn't yeah, there a ton of fraud as well. There were a lot of people who were getting the money who shouldn't have been getting it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, it it just it 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 speaks to process, right? You know, they just really didn't have the process in place for the people who were deploying that capital. Uh, and there were just a lot of gaps where, you know, people were unfortunately uh, being dishonest and, and getting that money when when they really shouldn't have gotten it. And, you know, obviously uh, the government has pursued a lot of those individuals, you know, once they were caught. Uh, but I, I, I would say that was, I'd say the fraud was minimal based on, you know, who, who was supposed to get the money and who should have gotten the money as far as qualifying. I think outweighs the people who were, I guess, fraudulent per se. Yeah. Talk about your FinTech lines of credit and term loans. What kind of loans are you making to people in the financial technology area? So FinTech really just speaks to, it, it's more technology driven or algorithm driven uh, versus a, I'd say a live body doing an underwrite. Uh, and that's where the FinTech kind of comes into play. It's, it's really, uh, you know, uh, tech driven as far as, you know, uh, the underwriting components of that. And so it allows for greater volumes and, and, and faster capacities. You can get a fintech loan done in, you know, really, you know, just a few hours or sometimes just a few days um, versus if someone goes through a traditional process of getting working capital, right, it can take 30 days or 45 days, right, because a live person has to touch the file, underwrite the file. Um, but in fintech, in the fintech spaces, it's more algorithm driven so that they can, you know, really kind of boost volume, per se. So you use a lot of technology that other lenders might not to be able to get a process process the application quicker. A absolutely, absolutely. That's one thing we what we love about our, our fintech lenders is we're able to turn loans around and you know just a, you know sometimes in a matter of hours, right? Where a borrower can apply in the morning and be financed by the you know later part of the afternoon, uh, based on the fintech technologies, right? The borrower is providing everything that we requested them to, for the system to basically build in an algorithm of what they qualify for. Um, and then they move through the process from there. So it's a very, very quick turnaround. And that's what we, one thing we love about the FinTech space is, is more technology driven. Where are you getting the money from that you're lending? Well, it depends on our debt advisory platform, right? We have relationships with well over, you know, 250 private banks and lenders that's to, that we use to facilitate the debt for the borrowers. So in those capacities, we're not the direct lender, right? We're providing the service of pairing those clients with the lenders that provide the loans that they need. What we're doing is providing the underwriting uh, expertise and the industry expertise to be able to guide the, pro the client through the process. Uh, and then once we've uh, completely underwritten a file in-house, then we submit to our lending partners for their considerations of, of the deal. So. Um, you know, a lot of that is based on the relationships that we've built, you know, across the board with both traditional lenders and then also specialty finance firms as well. And then you, so that's part of it, but then you also direct lend as well. Where's the, the source of capital when you're doing direct lending yourself? So under our Rainstar project capital, uh, where we're doing direct deployment of capital and for large projects in the global capacity, anywhere from 25 million, which is our floor up to $10 billion dollars. 
we are backed by a $260 billion private capital trust. Uh, that's where our funds come from. And we provide a line of credit uh, program for borrowers to be able to execute on large projects. We also have Rainstar Development Capital, where we're doing direct deployment of capital into the new construction housing market. So you think subdivisions, townhomes, condos, multifamily, student housing, senior housing, mixed-use properties, et cetera. Uh, and in that scenario, we're backed by a $3 billion institution. That's where our funds come from, and we're able to provide capital from $1 million up to $80 million for new construction housing, both for the vertical and the horizontal piece of the construction, new construction. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He's the president of Rainstar Capital Group, which helps uh, businesses of all types get loans. You can find out more about them at their website, rainstarcapitalgroup.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He is the president of Rainstar Capital Group, which helps uh, small businesses get loans of various types. Uh, their website, rainstarcapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Frederick. Thank you for having me. Let's just go through the process briefly. Once they've identified which is the right loan for their situation, just briefly go through what the underwriting process is from when they start to when they actually get the loan. Sure. So obviously that depends on the, the loan type, but I'm going to start with our, uh, I, I would say, um, more frequently asked for uh, loans, which is obviously working capital. So, um, you know, outside of, you know, a traditional application, which we send out to the borrower, uh, we also going to ask for, you know, financials of the business, uh, typically two years, including uh, uh, 
tax returns as well, P&L, balance sheet, um, any AR that they may have, uh, or, or also any um, AP, accounts uh, payables as well. We usually also ask for collateral lists, so anything that they may have that we can leverage to provide the capital that they're looking for. So an equipment list or anything that they, you know, or inventory list, things that they may have that we can provide additional leverage, just depending on the request. So we usually send out a full package of everything we need to complete an underwrite for a borrower. Um, and then we, we, you know, after our initial call, we'll request those documents. And then we'll wait a day or two to be able to sort through those documents and do a high level underwrite of those particular documents. And then what we would do is schedule a, a second call to walk through the financials that have been provided us. And then, you know, obviously clear up any ambiguity uh, of documentation that have been provided us. Uh, and then once we feel like we have a firm grasp and clear picture, not only the financial situation, but the story, I think a lot of what our borrowers really, really enjoy about working with us is we understand that every business has a story, right? How did you come to the situation that you're currently in? And then what's the vision moving forward, right? Um, you know, not only just the hurdles, but what's the overall vision and what's the overall goal, um, you know, that we're trying to attain with the borrower and then making sure that we understand that because we need to be able to articulate that clearly to our lenders and to the underwriters who's underwriting the file. And so a lot of our lenders are story driven. And so it gives us that extra capacity to provide financing um, beyond what a traditional bank would provide. Because at the end of the day, when you're working with the bank, it's, it's, you know, it's really black and white all about the numbers. Um, and in our scenarios, uh, it's more than just the numbers. It's the individual. It's the story and what we're trying to accomplish for the borrower. And it just gives us that extra bit of cachet that we need to be able to get a, a, a deal pushed across the finish line. And basically, you're saying you can unlock the growth potential of a business that might not be possible with a traditional loan. How can you you see the potential of business? How is it that you can unlock their growth potential? Well, really, it's just because we can leverage a lot of what the bank can't leverage, right? You know, we can do a, a inventory loan. You know, I've had several borrowers be what I would consider inventory rich but cash poor, right? And so they they have literally have money sitting in the shelves, sitting on the shelves, or uh, you know, sitting in the warehouse or a storehouse somewhere, right? And so, um, and it's locked up in inventory and we're able to provide capital or a line of credit based off of the inventory, leveraging the inventory to get them the, unlock the capital that they need to be able to grow. Um, other scenarios could be, you know, they have equipment that we can leverage to get the, get them the capital that they're looking for as well. So um, I think that's where we really come, you know, where we differentiate ourselves from a traditional banking model is being able to provide the leverage that a borrower is looking for based on their current situation and, and, and get them the capital that they're looking for beyond, you know, the bank just telling them no because they don't fit in the traditional model. So this is, you're, you're finding a lot of businesses are in that situation. They've got accounts receivable, they've got contracts, they've got inventory, but they don't have mm -hmm. the cash to make payrolls, basically what you're saying. They're cash poor, asset rich, I guess you might say. Yeah, and it could be, you know, they could need capital for various amount of reasons, right? Whether that's payroll, we actually have a, a, a specific payroll um, uh, line of credit for borrowers, right? And it's specific for them, you know, just for them to meet payroll. Um, and then we have opportunities where, you know, a client just needs growth capital, right? They, they're looking to take home more employees, but they don't really have the capital to do so. And so we're stepping in and seeing, again, where can we find the leverage, right? What is it that, you know, what do you have that's of value, whether that's their real estate, uh, whether that's inventory, whether that's equipment, um, you know, or, or accounts receivables, you know, maybe they have a lot of money tied up in their accounts receivables and they have a pretty extensive lag time on getting that money in the door. 
especially if they're working with any type of municipality or government entity, you know, they could be waiting 90 days up to 120 days to be paid on an invoice. Uh, and what we're able to do is, is step in and provide that capital and, you know, as little as 48 hours, right? Or where we can speed up that cash flow cycle for them exponentially, uh, providing an advance up to 90% on, on that invoice uh, so that they can have the dollars now, not tomorrow or, or 120 days from now. And so oftentimes it's just really a lack of education. The borrower just doesn't know what else exists uh, beyond traditional financing. And so when they meet our, a group like ours, you know, they are elated because we're providing options that they never even knew existed. Specifically, you offer government contract funding. Is that right? So how does that work if a company has a, a government contract? Well, typically, we'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a look at, you know, it really boils down to the details of that contract. But we use, you, you know, let's say it's a government PL, purchase order, and they don't have the capital on hand to be able to, you know, uh, exercise the PL, right? You know, with their suppliers, typically suppliers, re you know, require that a borrower bring at least 50% to the table of the request. They may not have that on hand. And so what we're able to do is step in and provide that capital at 100%, right? We'll step in and provide the dollars necessary for, and we'll pay the suppliers 100% of the request out the gate. Uh, and then we'll extend uh, terms of 100, up to 120 days for that client to turn that PO into an invoice, right? Which means they've delivered the goods to the end buyer or the end user. Uh, and then what we'll usually do is bring a, you know, a uh, accounts receivables um, company to the table to be able to turn that invoice into cash dollars in the borrower's hands, you know, within 24 to 48 hours. So we're speeding up that cash cycle quite a bit. So the AR lender comes in to take out the PO lender, and then we just rinse and repeat that model, and it speeds up their cash flows quite a bit. And it, it obviously gives them the capacity to be able to grow. Most people in the small business, you think they'd be ecstatic. They get a large PO from a Costco or a Walmart, right? You know, a million dollar you know, you know, PO order or purchase order from a from a Costco or a Walmart, but you'd be amazed how many people uh, have a, a severe amount of trepidation about that because you know they don't have the capital on hand to be able to execute on the PO, and that's where we come into play. We come in and, and step in to provide that, uh, you know, the levers that they need to be able to execute on that and continue to grow their business. What kind of interest rates do you charge, and is it based on the prime rate or? Uh, what is the interest rate you're charged based on? So on a, on a purchase order in AR financing, uh, usually it's it, anywhere from one to three percent of the of the invoice amount, right? So how that would work is, let's say you have a uh, invoice in hand, um, and you know it's it's for a hundred thousand dollars, right? What we will do is we'll come in and advance, uh, you know, up to ninety percent of that, right? So I'm effectively giving you. $90,000, right, today. What happens is once that invoice is honored by, you know, the person who owes on the on the invoice, uh, what, what, what the lender typically do is they'll take their 1% to 3% off of the top, and then the, the borrower gets the difference. So, you know, whether that's, you know, 8% or, you know, the additional 7%, you know, they get to bring that back in-house, and then they rinse and repeat the model. So that's typically how the lender works. They'll charge anywhere from 1% to 3% of that invoice uh, of the advance rate. So that's on invoice. And the same thing would be true on all the other government financing and, and uh, payroll. All these things would be similar? Well, it, you know, each one of those products, uh, as far as the underwriting, is, is a little different, right? So payroll, they'll typically do, uh, you know, they'll do an advance, you know, either usually it's two to three times whatever 
you know, their typical payroll cycle is. is how, so they're going to look at the revenues of the business, and then they're going to look at what their accounts payables typically are. And then they're going to build that into their model. Uh, so that could be anywhere from 3 to 10%, um, depending on the industry. Uh, and then the revenue cycles as well. Like, are they paying every two weeks or are they paying once a month or, you know, it just depends on how they're doing business. So each one of those products has a different little caveat as far as how they're looking at the underwriting structure. On the other side, you've got a vendor quick pay business. How does that one work? Uh, it's the same scenario, right? We will step in and provide, you know, provide the capital to that, to that vendor, uh, you know, quickly, right? Instead of the vendor waiting, uh, you know, they, vendors typically charge a what I would consider um, like more of a surplus fee when they have to extend credit to a borrower. So let's say the borrower doesn't have, you know, the ability to pay, um, you know, for the material, you know, the hard material costs uh, at 100 percent. Right. They'll say, OK, well, pay us 50 percent and then you'll pay the rest uh, upon, you know, you know, at, in a certain amount of time. But they're charging, you know, they're charging a surplus on that. And so what we're able to do is step in and, and pay on that quickly. And it gives the borrower the opportunity to negotiate the rates, right? If they're paying at 100%, now they can negotiate rate and terms uh, because they're paying at 100%. We're giving them that cash aid to be able to do so, that, you know, that negotiating power with their, with their suppliers. And let's talk about real estate. So you're doing all kinds of commercial real estate projects, offices, apartments, shopping centers, all kinds of things. Uh, these can be long-term kind of projects. What kind of financing is available for commercial real estate projects? So for commercial real estate, we do everything. So long-term financing, short-term financing, which would be considered like a bridge. Uh, we also do ground-up construction projects. So it really just depends on, um, you know, the, the number one, what the borrower is asking for. So you have your, you know, your typical bank debt, um, anywhere from four to seven percent rates typically, and then you have what I would consider agency debt, your CMBS debt. That's also around four to seven percent uh, agency debt, which is your Fannie and Freddie type of situations. That's also four to seven percent. Um, then you have your alternative uh, A paper, right? That means it doesn't qualify for traditional bank financing, and it also doesn't qualify for agency debt. But it's still an A paper borrower in the capacity that they have a strong FICO, typically a seven hundred plus FICO. Um, we're able usually to provide capital in the seven to nine percent range. Um, then you have your again non-bank SBA debt six to nine percent. Uh, then you have your what I would consider cheap bridge money, short-term bridge money. Bridge money is usually anywhere from one to three years, uh, and it could be a turnaround. It could be for uh, a quick acquisition. It could be uh, you know short-term uh, capital for them to be able to stabilize their property so that they can actually roll into long-term debt. You know your 25, 30-year money. Um, it also could be um, for rehab as well. You know that's bridge money as well. Uh, one to three years for you know for them to do any type of rehab to a property. That's typically seven to nine percent. And then you have your hard money bridge, and that's usually 10% plus. And that's for borrowers that don't qualify for any of the other traditional models or any other the options because uh, based on the cash collateral and credit. So let's say um, it's not a A-class property or uh, it could be in a rural area, right? And, you know, and so the lenders that will, you know, lend in a rural area consider those areas obviously to be higher risk. And so the rate is going to be commensurate with that. Uh, or it could be that they have some deficiencies uh, where their uh, FICO is concerned. And so obviously they're going to, you know, trade on the higher end of that spectrum of, of interest rate 
because they're considered higher risk because they have, you know, some FICO challenges, um, et cetera. So that's typically the scale on, you know, the type of commercial real estate financing from a rate and term perspective. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He is the president of the Rainstar Capital Group, which you can see helps businesses finance all kinds of different projects and, and needs. Uh, you can find out more at their website, rainstarcapitalgroup.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Frederick Ruffin. He is the president of Rainstar Capital Group, which helps people get loans for all kinds of business projects. You can find out more at their website, rainstarcapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Frederick. Thank you for having me. Seems like a lot of this is education. People start businesses and don't really understand the financial side of either starting it, funding it, and even once it's going, how to make it grow. What kind of education is necessary to get people to learn about the financial side of a business where they're kind of interested in the, the business itself and not the, the running of it? Sure. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing that borrowers run into, uh, especially new businesses, is they start businesses undercapitalized, right? They don't realize that whatever they anticipated it was going to cost, it's going to cost more, right? Uh, and so it's very, very important that borrowers, uh, I'd say, approach the opportunity um, sober of mind, right? So beyond the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations and, and even the what I would consider the, the zeal of starting that business, they really have to understand the inner workings of that business um, in the industry, right? And what it costs, really costs to, you know, to, to bring a, a business not only to fruition, but also to sustain the business beyond, you know, the, the typical one to five years, you know, and that's, that's usually the, the lifespan of a business, a new business is one to five years before they close their doors. Really, because they they've walked into the opportunity undercapitalized, uh, and then number two, they don't understand what's available in the alternative lending space when the bank says no. Right? It's very rare that a business is going to qualify for traditional financing as a startup. Right? So what most people do is they overleverage themselves. Right? They leverage their house and they over overleverage themselves on credit card, credit cards and things like that, which kills their FICO. 
which further diminishes their opportunity to to qualify for traditional financing because now they've killed their FICO score because they're over leveraged on their on their on their credit cards. Um, what we always tell clients to do is reach out to us and let us walk you through the different financing options that we have available and what's realistic and what's not realistic, right? Um, you know, I always tell clients, um, you know, you know, a no is not a denial is not always a long term no, right? It just means you don't qualify at this time. And so, what we need to figure out is where you are realistically, uh, both financially. Uh, and then where you are, where your business model is concerned, um, and then lending that that expertise in that specific field to say, okay, this is your business plan. Here's where the t tweaks need to be made. This is what you qualify for realistically right now today. And then this is what you need to do in order to qualify for that next phase of financing. After you get the doors open, how do you continue to um, you know, generate the revenue that's necessary? And also the smart way of doing business, right? Making sure they're leveraging the right products and they're not trying to um, fit a square peg in a round hole per se, right? You know, if there's something more better or different that the borrower should be using or leveraging, uh, we're more than happy to be able to walk them through that, uh, that, that scenario and what they should be doing in order to make sure that the business is successful. Is this something that should be taught in colleges and Schools, because a lot of people get out of school, they have none, no experience with any of this whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, most most people can find entrepreneurial courses for free, right? Online, uh, through their local SBDC uh, as well. Um, and that's something that I did, you know, um, when I ventured out from the banking world and wanted to start my own business, which I ran very successfully for five years, is I took advantage of all the free courses that were available. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be courses that they pay for, but I, I you know, I took classes on um, how to start a business. I took classes on how to do taxes, right? How do you do your own taxes? How to use QuickBooks? Things like that, um, you know, to to properly prepare them for how to run a business, uh, not from the conception of yeah, I know this industry or yes, I know how to manufacture, uh, you know, uh, furniture but the back office stuff that's required to be able to run the business efficiently from payroll to taxes, et cetera. Um, there's a lot of courses that are uh, free. We also on our website offer, we have well over 700 videos, mostly educational videos on the alternative lending, you know, in the capital markets uh, that we offer our clients absolutely free. We want clients to, to educate themselves on what's available so that they arm themselves to be successful uh, in their business. So we have, videos on accounts receivable financing. We have videos on commercial real estate financing, videos on asset-based lending and equipment financing and sell leasebacks and all the other alternative lending uh, kind of niches that are out there that's, that's available. We have uh, educational videos that they can you know find right on our website to be able to educate themselves uh, and arm themselves with the education and, and the information that they need to be successful. It should help a lot of people, yes. One specific kind of loan that you make are fix and flip loans. Now, people see on TV how easy it is. You go in, you rip the place up, you mix, fix it up, and sell it quickly for a profit. What, what do people need to know about fix and flip loans? Uh, well, they're, you know, if you're a novice, um, you know, and it's, it's kind of your what I would consider your first rodeo, um, we do have lenders that will that specifically um, cater to those type of individuals. And, you know, you'll find the biggest thing is what people find out when they start fixing and flipping a home 
obviously on TV, they make it look so easy, right? But they don't often show all of the headaches that come along with that. And again, you know, whatever you think is going to cost to fix and flip a property, it's probably going to cost you twice as much because you don't know what you don't know until you start getting into the walls and into the minutia of the deal. So we require a borrower to bring 10% equity to the table and we'll finance 90% of the purchase for the borrower uh, and 100% of the rehab. So we give them 100% of the rehab dollars required to do so. So this helps them kind of get a leg into the business without having to uh, exhaust a lot of capital. The more capital you can kind of keep on hand, the better for those unforeseen situations. Um, and so I think what the biggest mistake people do, you know, is they try to use their own capital to completely remodel a property without really leveraging, you know, someone else's money, which is the finance company's money to be able to do so. So that way you have money for a rainy day. God forbid the project goes south. You don't want to have exhausted all of your, your, your resources. So we have programs specific for the excuse me, fix and flip. And then also to, uh, for the, um, we have build to rent where the borrower is looking to build a home from scratch, but they're not looking to sell it. They're looking to rent it. So we do have build to rent programs as well. And then obviously we have long-term holds. So for borrowers that are getting an investment for rental, whether that's for, you know, Airbnb or VRBO situation, uh, or having a actual, you know, long-term rental richer in those properties, we have programs for that as well. Um, and we have educational videos for those, for those type of clients as well. That sounds like it'd be very helpful. Since this is such a profitable business for you, are you attracting a lot of competition? Are there a lot of other people getting into the alternative lending space? Um, I mean, there are a handful. Uh, most of the the uh, what I would consider competition, they have a specific niche, right? So they only do working capital, or they only do equipment financing, right? They just have one kind of specific lane. What Rainstar has been able to do is bring all of that under one umbrella. So every first and second lien debt product in the market we offer, um, which again puts us kind of head and shoulders above our competition because we have that capability, right? If a borrower needs capital, we have the financing for them to be able to do it. Uh, and I always tell clients, if, if, if I can't do it, it means it can't be done or it shouldn't be done. <laughs> That's a good idea, indeed. So in the two minutes or so we have left, kind of why don't you sum up the ability to get things financed that might, most, many people think is not possible through traditional bank financing these days. Well, again, I think a lot of things is it, uh, it's the working capital components and being able to provide uh, capital to borrowers uh, that may not fit in the traditional SBA loan, right? Um, you know, whether that's, you know, they have inventory that we can leverage or they have equipment that we can leverage or they have accounts receivables. Most people have no idea about accounts receivables financing. Uh, and our ability to, prov to provide a line of credit based on receivables that they have outstanding and speeding up that that account receivables or that you know that that the cash flow process or cycle for them. Um, I think those are some of the, the main things that we offer clients that they had no idea even existed beyond. You know, most people know about you know secondary market where commercial real estate is concerned, but they have no idea about the secondary market for capital, working capital, or growth capital. Yeah, very good. Well, we've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Frederick Ruffin. He's the president of Rainstar Capital Group. Helps a lot of people get financing they might not think would be possible otherwise. You can find out more at their website, rainstarcapitalgroup.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Frederick. Thank you for having me. Blessings. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.